Welcome, everyone. My name is Kareem Kanji. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is TSN's James Duthie. For those of you who don't know, James covers hockey, the Great Cup, Super Bowl, as well as the Masters Tournament on the Sports Network here in Canada. Uh, James has won a ton of awards, Canadian Screen Awards, Sports Media Canada Award for Outstanding Sports Broadcasting. He has written a boatload of books, including his latest called Beauties, Hockey's Greatest Untold Stories. But James is also a fellow volunteer with Conquer COVID-19, which helped to raise both funds as well as personal protective equipment during wave one of the current pandemic. This is a great discussion. I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Enjoy this conversation with TSN's James Duthie. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. No problem. Now, Kareem or Karim? Kareem. Kareem. Okay. Yeah. And James. Of Love course. the hat. The hat's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I was so- actually at uh, so Suleiman, the guy who started Conquer COVID nineteen. I was at his house yesterday. Ah. Uh, he bought a bunch of books for uh, some friends of his, so I was staying high to oh, him nice. and his family. Yeah, I did some uh, stuff for them back in. Uh, yes. Just a, just delivering stuff. It was uh, mucho fun. Nice, wonderful. Yes, Solomon and I have been friends for many years. Oh, have you? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I did did some behind the scenes stuff. I'm sure you did. With him, and I don't know if you ever uh, bumped into Greg Tilston. He was the the tech guy, the website guy, and. I think I think once or I think I might have. Uh, signed a book for him yesterday <laughs> okay he was um yeah. he was did you do that event for the doctors ontario doctor was it hot doctors association yes that's actually that's where i dealt with greg exactly yes. i did that yes. yeah, yeah yeah he was uh he yeah. helped put that together i think nice. yeah nice. yeah yeah so i told him uh, so you got a, you get a wide variety of guests on here right yeah, I've got uh, I've got a couple of podcasts. So I have a music one. Nice. That uh, Greg is uh, my co-host and producer for. Uh, and then this one. That's I've really been... my that's really my failed dream. Really. I used to write music when I was a kid. Yeah, my dad was a musician, and I uh, I've actually written a lot of songs. We actually turned a couple of TSN ones into them, and I uh, but I I could never really. I was supposed to be a drummer, but I never sort of got the hand, hang of it. And I sort of quit somewhere along the way. Sports distracted me. Yeah. But my dad was a really, really talented musician. And that was always the thing that quietly I really wanted to do, I think. Wanted to be a rock star well, is, or is rap it... star or whatever that may be. <laughs> I've heard a saying that through. all athletes want to be rock stars and all rock stars want to be athletes. I think that's true. I think I've heard that. And all that sportscasters somewhere. would rather be either. <laughs> so you you wrote so what kind of songs did you write with your dad i started writing songs when i was 12 but i couldn't like um i have the tune in my head like i could sing it to you but okay. i wouldn't uh but i wouldn't like i wouldn't know how to put the music down ah, behind it. i could okay. i could i could hear i could hear the music in my head yeah 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 and i could i could sing you the tune and yeah. so when i started working at uh I have a podcast as well, and there's uh, this guy named Lester McLean, who uh, is a musician yes. who works at TSN. I know, you know Lester. I've heard of yeah. him. Yeah, so, we went to the uh, same high school. Oh, neat. So Lester, I will, I've done some stuff for TSN where I, I write these goofy hockey songs once in a while, and uh, I will literally like call him and and uh, sing the song into the uh, like the in his voice his voicemail, and, okay. and Lester will put put the song to music. Like we did a song back years ago. There was uh, we should be saving this for the pot. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. No, this is perfect. 
uh, there was all those puck over glass penalties in the NHL. Yeah. And so I wrote, I wrote a song called puck over glass, right? It goes puck over glass. Hey ref, kiss my ass. Another delay again. Tarnishing my name. Anyway, and we made a video for it and everything. So music is my secret passion. Well, listen, there, there was a little bit of a delay in the NHL season. Did you ever think that listen, now, now is the time? Now is the time to go, go for it. I, I, I never thought that ever. <laughs> you, you've already been told to keep your day job. Is that what it is? That's right. That's right. My wife tells me every day because I'm one of these guys who sings all the time. Yeah. And I, I have this annoying habit of, like if you say if like uh, I don't know, uh, you know, just say a line in in um, in passing, right? Are we gonna? Hey, we're gonna take the dogs for a walk. I'll be like, walk this way. I'll just like key into some word she says and start singing yeah. some stupid song. Yeah. And I just do it all. I I must be the most annoying person to live with. Just for wow. Real. That is anyway. That is good. That is good. Yeah. Listen, um, uh, not that I'm, I'm a, a spokesperson for the organization, but of course, you know, thanks to, to all the volunteers for, for Conquer COVID-19. Um, how did you first hear of the organization? Uh, I can't remember if Suleiman, uh, who started it, wrote me or that I just saw another one of his tweets. I, I can't. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and could probably figure it out. Yeah. So I've, either I reached out to him or he reached out to me and uh, just wanted to be involved. I think Bob McKenzie and I got involved around the same time yeah. and just said, can we do something? Because like everybody else, we were just sitting at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were doing segments for TSN, but you felt helpless just like everybody else, right? You, it was such a helpless feeling sitting in your, in your house and knowing people were struggling and, uh, I mean, look at we, we didn't do very much. I, I went and delivered for a few days. It was literally nothing, but at least it felt like you were doing something, right? Yeah. But I had great admiration for, um, you know, everybody that wears that hat that you wear that 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 helped out because they they did a lot of good. And you needed those grassroots things, right? Of course. They, if they didn't do what they did, it would have been, uh, yeah. So, it was uh, really nice to see. Absolutely. And I know there's another grassroots initiative happening in Toronto. Uh, a number of volunteers come together doing, uh, I guess, raising food, uh, doing, doing a food drive across the city, driving, picking up food from people's homes, porches, That's awesome. and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's you know, as, as much as we've been sort of suffering in different ways, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been uh, nice to see you know, people like Suleiman sort of step up and um, really dedicate a lot of time and, and energy um, and other volunteers across the country, you know, mm-hmm. just, just wanting to do good, wanting to make a, a difference, whether it's something little, something small or, or something big, it all sort of adds together, I think. Hey, I'm an inherent believer that, you know, there's there's some people, whether it's the anti-mask crowd or whatever, sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, and I get people's frustration, but generally, I think, especially in Canada, the vast majority of people just want to help in any I way so. they possibly can. And so uh, it's, it's great to be, see people really step up. Yeah, for sure. So tell me, you know, you, you got to go, everyone got to go back to work in some way, shape or form. Um, especially, you know, when it comes to sports and hockey uh, and the NHL. Did you stay in Toronto? Were you part of the sort of bubble, whether it be in Winnipeg or here? Tell me about that. I stayed. Uh, We ended up going back into studio eventually. So as soon as COVID happened, uh, we basically going. We were doing all our typical TSN segments, insider training and such. I'm not sure anybody was watching because yeah. the world had more important things to do. Yeah. But we kept doing them. So we kept fairly busy. And then once things were safe, I believe my first day in studio was sometime near the end of June or middle of July, uh, You know, maybe a couple of weeks before the... Uh, the bubble really started and then we would go in and do obviously we didn't have the rights to the games uh so we would do our typical panel 
sort of before and after the game thing in studio, a couple of us would be in there. So it was, it was, I love that. It was a normalcy, you know, yeah. uh, to, to going into work and putting on a suit instead of the grubby sweatpants that I wear every single day and, sure. and actually, you know, feeling like you were in studio, even though there was only a handful of people in the entire building. Yeah. So yeah, we did that. I, I never made it to the bubble, but uh, we are headed to the bubble for the world juniors. If uh, knock on wood, that we can get it in because Alberta's having some real struggles right now, but uh, I'm hopeful. I, you know, the world juniors is such a Canadian thing yeah. and such a treat for people over the holidays. I think we could use it this year, maybe more than, you know, more than ever, even though there'll be no fans there, but obviously, you know, the health of everybody comes first. I think once they can get everyone to the bubble, it'll be fine because the bubble's been sort of tested and true by yeah. the NHL. Um, but you have to you have to get everybody there first safely, and uh, uh, certainly we got a lot of questions in the next couple of weeks. For sure, your um, your book is fascinating. Uh, beauties. You know, I don't have a copy. Thank you for holding it up because I used That's to have it looks like. four <laughs> stacked right here. Thank you. I, uh, I so here's the I don't know if if you understand the publishing industry, but you get. Uh, when you sign a contract to do a book, yeah. they usually offer to give you 25 or 50 copies of the book, right? So you sure. can give it out to your friends or whatever. Um, the problem with this book is I had to interview about 100 people. And everybody I interviewed, I wanted to send them a copy of the book, whether it's Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby, who probably used them as coasters, but whatever. Uh, so all my copies of the book are gone. And I still have tons of you know family members and such that... And plus I have friends that all think I have a million copies. So they're like, Hey James, can I get like six copies of your book? And I have no copies. And so, uh, like my wife had to go out today and buy, we have, we're going to visit her, uh, her mom and, uh, you know, just a sort of outdoor Christmas hello. And, and my mom on the, uh, on the weekend and I have to go buy my own book and you know how embarrassing it is to buy your own book, like to be in line. Like if the checkout guy recognizes you and says, Hey, but aren't you this, this guy? Yeah, yeah, it's my book. All right, I'm buying my own book. Just take no, the damn visa. No discounts. <laughs> no discounts. I'm paying full. I'm the only guy who's going to write a book and end up losing money because I'll have purchased so many copies of it. That is nuts. I, I want to get to some of the stories in here, but I'm, after this was published, you're probably thinking in your head because I imagine the NHL in the bubble was like a totally different experience for everybody, right? Obviously for the players, for the officials, right. for the league, for fans, for mm -hmm. the media. Um, is, is there a, another version of this, uh, like a bubble bubble, 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 bubble beauties. Uh, yeah. That's the sequel. <laughs> there you go. Bubble beauties. Let's well, sing I, a song uh, to that now. One of my buddy, one of my buddies, Jamie Rydell, we were down at the Masters together, and he says if you do a sequel, and I don't know your, if how old you are, if you'll get this or not, but it's got to be called Beauties to Electric Boogaloo, because oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Breakin was the Breakin was the movie when I was younger. There was a breakdance movie called Breakin, and yeah. then it was Breakin to Electric Boogaloo. Um, yeah, no, you're right. There could probably be a whole bunch of bubble stories. Uh, I talked to John Cooper, the coach of the Lightning, and who's in this book and tells a fantastic story in the book. But uh, he said the whole bubble experience, like imagine winning the Stanley Cup, your lifelong dream in that, in that experience where in some ways it's the most wonderful thing ever because your, your team is together basically by itself for, you know, between the Toronto and Edmonton bubble, 70 days basically to get to win the Stanley Cup. So in what, some ways it's amazing. In some ways, it's terrible because your family can't be a part of it, and yeah. Uh, so, just I think, I think pretty fascinating. No parade, right? Like, no. like it's, it's do they do a virtual parade? I don't know what they I, do. I can't. They remember. did do a boat. They did a boat parade in Tampa. That's right. There was yeah. They yeah. were all in the boats. Yeah, little flotilla. Yeah, that was it, it's it's strange all all around. I I read something quickly today, even with the NBA with Pascal Siakam. And him, him saying that he just, he just couldn't get his head around it and just was not himself uh, the whole time they were in Orlando. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, I don't know that that's excusable in a way. Like you have to, 
you know, I think the best athletes got to wrap their heads around it. I mean, I do, yeah. I do feel simp- I feel sympathetic to that to an extent because there were bigger things going on in the world. And I loved how the NBA players, yeah. you know, got so involved and used their platform. I thought that was incredible. Um, but you gotta, you know, you gotta find a way, I yeah. think. And Pascal is going to be a great player, but you got to find a way. Yeah. Yeah. And the most, you know, you have to, that's at some point. You, you, you talk about uh, the, the NBA players and there's, I remember when it, first happened, everyone's going, what the heck is the NHL doing? What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on, I, I know they sort of righted ship, so to speak, but your, your thoughts on, on how they sort of handled all of that in the moment? Well, I mean, there's two questions, how they handled it and how they are handling it. Uh, hmm. I thought they did an amazing job in the summer. I was very skeptical. I thought back in May or so that the logistics were too difficult. And they fooled me and they pulled it off and they pulled it off quite well. And I thought the hockey was excellent. Not the same, never the same without the crowds and stuff. But I thought in general, they did a fantastic job. To have zero positive tests during that entire thing was, that was impressive. Yeah. Now, you know, different issue, more of a problem, really. One thing to put off a, pull off a bubble for a couple of months. It's another thing to try to pull off a whole season in the midst of the worst phase of this pandemic. And yeah. uh, I, I don't want to get into the nuts and bolts and bore your viewers about, uh, you know, the arguments going on right now between the league and the players association, but the players aren't happy at all. Uh, you know, they negotiated this new deal and, and now the NHL is like, yeah, but can we hold a little bit more money back and players aren't happy and it's nasty and it's public and, there's no chance in my mind that they they're playing by January 1st. Like they talked about, uh, I would yeah. say more towards the end, end of the month or something like that, if they can pull it off. So, but it's going to be really, really tricky and they're going to lose an awful lot of money. Are they talking about a bubble as well? Just for the whole year now? No, can't do it. I don't think they're talking about everything. So I'm not going to write anything sure. off, but you can't, you can't bubble guys for four months or anything like that. So, what they're talking about is a realignment of divisions. I'm sure you've heard this where all the Canadian teams play in one division because border crossing is a bit of a nightmare right now. That makes some sense. Sure. Um, and then regionalize the teams so that they're a little bit closer together. Um, but there's no perfect formula when, when the cases are going the way they're going right now. And so I don't know. Man, it's a real predicament. And Gary Bettman's a guy who likes to you know, be in control and have all the answers and you, you can't, nobody has the answers during this, right? It's yeah. look with the NFL, the NFL's, you know, mostly pulled it off, but cancel games here and there, move a game, move a game again, move a game a day back, figure out a way to get it in. You got teams playing guys, you know, all four quarterbacks are hurt. So Denver's playing a receiver as quarterback. It's not ideal, right? Yeah, and uh, I think the NHL will be something similar, where it's just it's not going to be an ideal season, but you just hope to get it in, and then everybody gets vaccinated and and we're okay by the fall and have normalcy again, I suppose. Yeah, that is true. Um, James, back back to your your book. Uh, I know Roberto Luongo has written the the foreword on. Is it two books now? Is it is it more? Yes. No, you're right. You're right, Slim. Two. Two, two books so is what's the um you guys must be good buddies now what's what what is it about roberto that uh uh that that you that he's sort of uh is showing up in 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 your books like this kareem he he uh i i didn't really know him okay and, uh, <laughs> who is this guy <laughs> i thought he was actually kind of aloof and this is really? now we're going back 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think he had that reputation. You know, he wasn't super friendly with the media, a little bit aloof. And I'll, I'll give you the quick, quick, quick version of the story. But my boss told me to do a, uh, wanted to do a feature on backup goalies, like a serious feature on what it's like to be a backup goalie. Okay. And Jamie McLennan was the, the Roberto's backup in Florida. That's where he was at the time. And uh, so we said, why don't we do a story on Jamie McLennan? And Jamie was a pretty funny guy. And I came up with this idea, instead of doing a serious story, that we'd do something. What if the backup goalie really hated the starter and he, you know, quietly fantasized about 
getting rid of them. And uh, so I kind of wrote this silly script okay. whereby, you know, Roberto was a real jerk who was making Jamie be his slave. And uh, uh, yeah, and so we did this really goofy piece. And basically it involved a scene where Jamie runs over Roberto with a Zamboni in a dream sequence. And I'd never met Roberto and we had to shoot that scene first. They were coming off the ice practice in Florida and I'd never talked to Roberto. And so he's coming off the ice and I'm like, Hey, Roberto, it's James from TSN. We're going to shoot this thing. And uh, the first scene is going to be Jamie running over you with a Zamboni. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And right away I knew I, I was going to like this guy. And okay. as soon as we got into filming, he had all these ideas and we did that piece. And then he started calling me and having more ideas for other stupid stories. And we ended up doing four or five different, films little five minute films which were each one dumber than the last uh you can find them on youtube uh, one where he was a poet and, uh one where he came and was an intern on the panel they're really really stupid i like stupid like david letterman type humor that's what i grew up on yeah, yeah. and uh and so that's what we did and we became pretty good friends because of because of it and so he wrote the foreword for my last book and uh, uh i thought it was the perfect choice to write the foreword for this one He's, he's, he is great. He is really, really great. He's a good guy, Kareem. He's, he, he's great. And, uh, you know, he's so good on Twitter. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's, I don't have a lot of close friends who are players. I really don't. Uh, I kind of try to keep my distance. Okay. Uh, in, in just in doing my job. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that, you know, if, if I wanted to criticize a player on the air, I wanted to be able to criticize them. I didn't want to have too many relationships. Okay. Um, like that. And so, I mean, I have, you know, a bunch of players I could text and stuff, but no, not, a, not many that I would consider friends. And he's, he's one of the few that I would consider, a, a, you know, a, a real friend, a good guy. That's amazing. Is, do, is there, I don't know whether he's spoken to you about it or, or, or not, but he, he's, it seems to me that he's somebody that, you know, once the career is done and he's spent some time away that, you know, maybe media, is, uh, is, is something that he'd be very involved in. I think so. But right now, Kareem, he wants to, he wants to try to be, I think, a general manager. Really? So he's, he's got a job with the Panthers organization right now. And he's sort of learning the ins and outs of scouting and drafting and evaluating players and all that stuff. And I think that uh, he hasn't said this to me outright, but sure. I get the impression that's what he wants to be. And, Maybe if that doesn't work out or if he, if he gets sick of it, that media will be his, uh, his second choice because you're right, he'd be great at it. But I think that, uh, uh, you know, Roberto Luongo, the GM, would be his first goal. That's really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's something, you know, you tell the story about Roberto Luongo, you're thinking he's aloof, and then as soon as you start talking to him, he's this, you know, just a fun, fun person to be around and, and, to, and to work with. Um, and, and I've sort of heard anecdotally these stories specifically about hockey players, um, that they're a different breed of professional athlete. Um, you know, you've obviously you just got back recently from, uh, uh, from covering the masters, you know, so, you know, you've, you've been around athletes from different sports. Um, I'm wondering about your take on, on athletes in general and specifically hockey players and, no, not how they like to deal with media, but just them as human beings and, uh, you know, what type of personality some of these people have and whether it's true that hockey players are a different breed and they're sort of like down to earth next door neighbors. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I know that uh, I've gotten to cover pretty much all the major league sports. And I think they're certainly among the best athletes, just, you know, nice guys. And I think part of it's a lot of guys are from Canada, but you know, I covered the CFL. I think those guys are fantastic. Um, you know, maybe the CFL doesn't get as much attention. And so guys are nicer for that. <laughs> you know, for that reason, they love attention. But there's a lot of quality guys in the Canadian Football League. In my time covering the NBA, you know, really good guys as well. I, I don't cover the NBA. I covered, that was my first job at TSN, actually. I was hosted NBA for my first three years, right when Vince Carter was breaking into the league. Oh, wow. In fact, one of my one of my real highlights in my career was being at that All Star game in Oakland with the slam dunk contest, and uh, one of the just most electric experiences you've ever witnessed was that night. 
Um, but yeah, I haven't had many bad experiences, but I will say this, and I hate to say it because it's a generalization, but the bad experiences I've had have been with baseball players mm. that, uh, I covered triple a baseball in Ottawa before I joined to join TSN. And these are minor league players and they had worse attitudes than, wow. um, any other major league athlete that I've met. And I don't know what it is about, maybe it's baseball and America and, you know, the bond between those two things. And that when, when you're born into baseball, there's some sort of ego that goes with it, that you're playing America's game. I'm not sure. Uh, but huh. I've, I've found baseball players the hardest to deal with. Now, you know, I'll, uh, I will say that I haven't covered major league baseball in a lot of years. So I'm sure there's guys who cover major league baseball on a full-time basis who have great relationships with the players. So again, that's an overgeneralization. Sure. Sure. Just, that's just from my experience, the way, the way I feel, but yeah, hockey players, you know, are they a different, are they, I don't know. I feel, I think that's almost unfair to other athletes when we, I think it's a typical Canadian thing to say, Oh, our hockey players are the best guys in the world. They're better than anybody else. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Like I said, I've met a lot of really kind, generous NBA players and sure. CFL players and NFL players. So I think sometimes we uh, maybe we over trumpet that in Canada, but certainly I think uh, there's a lot of quality guys in hockey. Absolutely. By the way, tell me how how was uh, covering the Masters this year? This is going to seem so selfish, Kareem, uh, <laughs> because. I know that it wasn't the greatest masters from a, a viewer standpoint and everything without the roars. Yeah. It was the best masters experience. Shouldn't say the like watching tiger win in 2019 was amazing. Yeah. Uh, that was a, you know, career moment, but as far as the actual me being on the golf course, I will never have anything like this because the masters is a very difficult golf tournament to cover from a media perspective. Yeah, the, the way Augusta has set it up, and it's one of the things that makes it special, is that it's like you walk back into the 1900s. You're not allowed your cell phone. No fans or media are allowed their cell phones on the golf course. If you're caught with your cell phone, they kick you out so quickly. So you can't even have it out of your pocket. Um, there are no electronic scoreboards. On most PGA Tour events, you have big electronic scoreboards everywhere where you're watching the play. None of that. Just the old wooden scoreboards. And there are so many people that if I was to follow Tiger Woods or Dustin Johnson, you know, you're 20 people deep. Maybe you see the tip of his cap or the top of his club when he swings and that's it. So for the most part, when I'm covering the Masters, I have to be watching it on TV. People always say to me, James, where were you when Tiger putted out on 18 or when Jordan Spieth put those two balls in the water on 12 and most of the time I'm watching on TV because I have to, to know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, th this was the first tournament where I could be out there almost the entire time because I could stand 10 feet away from Tiger Woods on every tee shot. Wow. Uh, Dustin Johnson on, on Sunday on the 17th hole, I had to back up because my shadow was over his ball. That's how close. That close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was an, I love golf. I'm a golf fanatic. It's probably my, you know, greatest passion right now. It's just, I'm obsessed with golf. And uh, for that experience to be there to, you know, to listen to every conversation between the caddy and the player and was really, uh, really, really special for me. So I hope every year is not like that, but I really enjoyed it this year. Was it eerily quiet? Like, did you like notice like, wow, yeah. this is weird. Did you, uh, how was that feeling? Yeah, it was strange. Yeah, it was strange. I mean, I'm glad when Dustin Johnson came up 18 on Sunday that pretty much a lot of the volunteers and people came out. So there was a crowd around the 18th hole, the closest thing to a crowd. Um, because besides that, it was weird. Guys would make, you know, these big shots that would otherwise create incredible roars any other year. And it was just like, you know, two people clapping. <laughs> I followed Tiger for, for nine holes on Thursday and his gallery was myself, my buddy, Puffy, our producer, Tiger's girlfriend and Peyton Manning, who's a member at Augusta National. Those were the, that was it. Those were the only people following. Wow. That yeah, is, it was bizarre. That is crazy. That is, that is nuts. Um, I was thinking as I'm reading a bunch of these stories, 
uh, in your book that, you know, as I started reading more and more, I got the idea, okay, you're calling these people up somehow. They've agreed to tell a story. Um, did anybody call you after James and say, okay, you got to cut that out. I cannot, we, we, I can't, I shouldn't have told you that story. Uh, not as many as you would have thought. I mean, I think, I think Kareem, like you said, you know, I sort of explained the concept and guys are smart enough to know it's a book. So there's a yeah. few stories that they probably cut out themselves. There were, you know, a couple of guys, uh, after I, I would send them the chapters because I didn't want anybody to be okay. unhappy. You know, sure. as a journalist, usually I wouldn't do that. But in this case, you're writing a book where basically I wanted it to feel like reading this book that you're just in a bar and whoever the story is about, that guy's just telling you the story, right? And so I didn't want to, I didn't want anybody to pick up the book and be unhappy with what they read. And so there was a couple of guys who called me and, uh, and said, Hey, could you just take out that part? Uh, yeah. could you just take out that line maybe? Uh, but there wasn't anything like super salacious. Like you're not missing anything. <laughs> There'll be no, uh, you know, the untold stories later. Uh, just little things that maybe people, uh, I didn't really like what I said about this guy. So maybe just take that line out or something like that, but very few, yeah. uh, maybe, you know, two or three, two or three lines in the whole book, basically. There were, uh, one of the funniest stories I read was, uh, Steve Stamkos's dad stealing yeah. Steve Eiserman's car. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, the great thing about this book was that, you know, a lot of it was me simply, as you say, calling people and saying, hey, tell me your favorite story. That's all I want. I just yeah. want your favorite story. I don't care if it's short or long or whatever. I don't care if it's during a game or in the bar afterwards. I just want if Kareem and me and you are sitting in a bar and we say, tell us a great story. That's all I want this book to be. But I started getting stories from other places when people... So in, this, in that particular case, a guy named Don Douglas, who handles my RRSPs, also happens to handle the Stamkos family. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I know Steve's family. We used to live in Unionville a little bit. And so I was talking to Don one day, telling him about the book. And, and he said, did uh, Steve ever tell you about the time his dad stole Eiserman's car? And so that's where the, you know, I had no idea about that story. And Stephen had never told it before. Wow. Um, but uh, so sometimes they came from odd places, right? Yeah. And uh, which was kind of neat. I mean, that's, that's the way the book should come together like that. For sure. And, it's, and it, it was a story. It's stories like that throughout the book that I'd go like, this, this can't happen in any other sport. You know, there's no. Yeah, way. there is. Yeah, there's. I'm glad you said that because I think, and it's hard to put your finger on, but there is something about hockey, and maybe that goes back to what you were talking about a few questions ago. There is something about hockey that lends itself to a story. And yeah. I'm not sure if it's the, you know, the bond that players have, um, the fact that it's such a, you know, a tough guy sport. But, and there's something about hockey players, I think, are the greatest storytellers that – Almost, we, we accuse hockey players of being boring, right? And in some instances, that's true, particularly in the intermission interviews that yeah. we do. And partly that's the media fault when you say, hey, what do you got to do in the third? And <laughs> they have the towel around their shoulder and they're like, yeah, we just got to, you know, just get pucks deep and uh, <laughs> capitalize on our chances, right? Uh, so, but if you take them out of that environment yeah. and you get them in a place where they feel comfortable, Almost every hockey player has a story. And that was kind of my philosophy going into the book that, yes, I wanted to talk to Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Orr and, uh, and Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and all these guys. But I believe that anybody that I could call on any roster or any retired player that I could get one great story out of any of them. And I, and I truly believe that to be true. Um, and that was the, like, People ask me, how many stories did you leave on the cutting room floor? You know, I, the 57 stories in, in the book or chapters in the book, they're the only stories I got. There's not one person that I called and when I hung up the phone said, 
uh, I got nothing from him. Huh. Uh, there was a couple that were shorter stories and I did a chapter which was just a bunch of short stories because I'm like, I can't turn this into a chapter. It's yeah. too short. But um, everyone's got something. Even a guy like Sidney Crosby, who, you know, he's a pretty guarded guy in interviews, right? Really nice, genuinely nice man. Yeah. Um, but doesn't give a lot. He was great. Like he told me so many great stories. Um, and I think that that's what I'm talking about is that you get these guys away. And as long as they trust you, and that's one thing I'm proud of that people trusted me, yeah. um, that you can get, you can get really good stories from guys. That's amazing. I just, every, every time I think of Crosby still playing and being literally one of the top three, four, five players in the league, I remember I mean, it wasn't too long ago where people were talking, is this career over? Is this yeah. uh, enough concussions that this guy's had? I think it was a legitimate concern when he had the concussions that he, a lot of us thought he'd never come back again. And boom, he's had, what? That's got to be seven, eight years since That's then and won a couple of Stanley Cups and Conn Smice and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Uh, and it was funny. He gave me... Uh, it was hard. One of the challenges to get, especially the big name guys, you know, in the middle, I was writing this book in the middle of last season. They're okay. in the middle of playoff races. The demands on the McDavid's and the Crosby's and Matthews of the world are a lot. Sure. So to ask them to get a couple of hours of time for a book is a difficult thing. Uh, Sydney would send me voice memos. Okay. So uh, I actually find, I did get to interview him in Pittsburgh near the end of the season, but uh, until then he, once every couple of weeks, a voice memo would pop up on my phone and be, hey, James, it's Sid. Uh, I thought of another one for you. And he'd tell me another story. That's amazing. And yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was a really interesting, uh, uh, you know, I just thought it was, uh, you know, again, very generous of him and uh, yeah. that he'd be thinking about it, right? I think I never asked him where he was on the road somewhere in some hotel room. And oh, yeah, I got another story for the book. That is crazy. Um I wanted to have totally different sports, um, but, you know, as, as a viewer, um, one of the best, I don't know what it was three years ago, maybe more. The Blue Jays had a pitcher, Joe Biagini. Um, I don't know if you remember him, but he I, I was, do remember him. Yeah. Yeah. He had like the, he was the best person uh, for viewers to watch being interviewed. Because he would right. just say the most quirky things. Yeah, um, he was a character. And, yeah, and it was such a joy. I mean, the Jays weren't doing well, but it was such a joy just, you know, listening to this guy speak. He was like the best part of the Blue Jays that season. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether there's anyone like that in hockey, for, whether it's for oh, yeah. you or in general. Well, I think a lot of the guys I work with are like that. And you'll, okay. you'll find uh, any, anyone who reads the book, there's a lot of TSN guys in there because I think that generally great story in, in the end, all we do is tell stories, right? Sure. That's what a broadcast should be is you try to tell stories and maybe you don't think of it when you're watching at home, you're just watching the game to see the result, but the best play by play guys, they're telling you stories. The best TV broadcasts tell you little stories within the broadcast, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that the guys who end up in television as analysts or radio, or whatever it may be, are are do that because they're they're the best storytellers. And so the guys I sit next to, Dave Poulin, Jamie McLennan, Jeff O'Neill, uh, Carlo Koliakovo, um, you know, I could go on and on. Mike Johnson, Ray Ferraro. These guys have great stories. I and mean, that's why they're all in the book. Jamie McLennan is one of those guys, Kareem, that you could sit down with for beers and he could tell you a hundred amazing stories. Like I put two of them in the book and they just make me laugh so much. And some guys just have that, that gift. And as we were talking about a few minutes ago, it's, you know, there seem to be a lot of them in hockey and, that's what made my job pretty easy on beauties, right? Because these yeah. guys have the stories. I just, I just had to tell them. Um, one of the, uh, sometimes there, you have a story in here uh, about Ray Emery. Mm -hmm. And 
what I really loved about that story wasn't necessarily that it was a funny story, but like for me, it was a glimpse inside um, the maybe the mind of a player, but a glimpse into a person that um, I don't know whether the media had told that type of story about Ray Emery, right? No. Well, you know, first of all, I always really liked Ray. Uh, I covered the Senators back when he was there. And I always thought he was misunderstood. He did have some demons, but, and he made a few mistakes, but, and, 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 and maybe there, you know, maybe there were tinges of racism in that. And you know mm-hmm. that's one of the hockey's issues, I think, is that uh, maybe if Ray was white, he wouldn't have been given as hard yeah. a time by people about, you know, some of the things. And I think that probably really bothered him a little bit. And what really bothered me was that when Ray passed away, and I write this in the book, you know, if you Google Ray's name, uh, every story is about the way he died and it's troubled ex-NHL goalie Ray Emery, you know, passes away under uh, strange circumstances and all this. And that really bothered me um, because it didn't tell the whole story. And that seemed to be the definite, you know, the defining thing about Ray, that that's the way he's going to be remembered as, you know, a guy who had some issues when he played and then, yeah. and then, and then passed away tragically. And what was lost in there, the story I write about was one of the most remarkable comebacks in sports history. And Matt Nickel, who's the trainer in the story is a friend of mine. And, uh, um, you know, as he says in the book, like, Ray was a really unique guy. Like at first Matt was like almost terrified of him because Ray wouldn't say anything. And uh, he was trying to bring this guy back from, I think people don't realize he could have easily been paralyzed by the surgery that he had. He had a a hip, uh, a hip problem so bad that any of us would have had to have an immediate hip replacement, but you can't have a hip replacement to and play goal in the NHL. So Ray wanted to try this experimental surgery that had rarely been done and could well lead to paralysis and uh and he wanted to do it and matt was the trainer who had to try to bring him back to the nhl and they formed this weird sort of odd couple relationship and but at the end of it matt said i've never met a more generous caring athlete once he let me in once he let me in and so it's a story i really wanted to tell and you know uh i'm not trying to portray ray as a saint or a hero or anything like that i just wanted to show people there's another side to this guy yes uh here's a guy who basically risked everything to come back to the NHL and ended up coming back and winning a Stanley cup and having one of the greatest seasons the backup goalies ever had. And I just felt it was an underreported story in Ray Emery's life. And I wanted, uh, I wanted that story to be told so that, you know, whatever years from now, postscripts on Ray Emery would include that and not just, you know, that he drowned at four o'clock in the morning or whatever that may be. And one of the most satisfying notes I've gotten on this book was from Ray's mom. Oh, nice. Uh, who, who read the book and uh, uh, sent me a really, really nice email uh, about that, about thank you for, you know, telling that story and the other side of Ray. Yeah, that's, it's, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal story. Um, you know, if, if, if anyone, you know, obviously a great Christmas gift for sure, but um, if there's one story from the book, like for me, that, that was the story. Oh, that, that's uh, That's really good to hear. One, yeah. of, one of the things I wanted Kareem was obviously there's a lot of funny stuff in of there. Of course. Yeah. Uh, that's hockey. And, but I didn't want to set any rules. I just wanted people to tell me stories and I made, made sure to say, you know, it can be funny. It can be whatever. I, when I read a book, I want to be surprised every page. I want to, I don't want, and I just, I could have just done all funny stories. And, you know, it could be a yuck yucks book, but I wanted it to be more than that. Uh, I wanted there to be a few in there that made you think. And uh, yeah. uh, Ray is one of the stories in the book that yeah. I hope does that for people. It's beautiful. It was, it was like, I read that and I go, that's, I mean, I, I didn't follow obviously the senators that much here in Toronto, but I knew it was, he was like a troubled guy and uh, it, it was sad the way he died. And then reading this story was like, that that sort of put it into place where that's sort of how you would want anyone to be remembered, right? You don't want to remember people as being yeah. troubled or bad, but you know, it, it was a, it was a great story. 
Um, yeah, I think Ray's Ray's one of those guys that really needed hockey, and he was lost without it. And yeah, there's a lot of professional like. athletes like that that, you know, once they leave the game, really struggle. And uh, you know, some struggle with alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be. And I think Ray was one of those guys that needed. He really needed hockey, and he yeah. and he had a hard time without it. I hear you. Um, friends of mine, like Greg Suleiman, um, giggle when they find out that I have all of these hockey guests. Because, you know, for me, it's baseball, basketball, maybe MMA, you know, and, and hockey. Sorry about what I said about all baseball players That's earlier. That's not, it's, it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. Um, but... What's really interesting, so I've, I've had the chance to um, interview the author of, uh, oh my goodness, I can't remember. The, it's about a Montreal Canadiens captain. His name escapes me right now. But that book was released, I think, earlier this year or late last year. But recently, okay. Sammy Joe Small, uh, Harner Ryan nice. Singh, I've chatted with um, Sean awesome. Fitzgerald, uh, maybe a couple of years ago now. Um, Super smart guy. Oh, loved him. And hilarious as well yeah he is really really funny and then obviously i got al strachan and bob mckenzie coming on oh, i've had jim jim lang so it's really weird why are you why are you wasting your time with that mckenzie guy nobody wants to hear from him ah uh, he gave me a book <laughs> i mean oh i i better send you a book eh Jeez, <laughs> no this is i got it's just good this is fine <laughs> i know but i could have sent you one Jeez. <laughs> that is good that's okay. no, i'm just kidding obviously bob bob's one of my best buddies it's kind of funny that we both have books out at the same time we're having this like quiet rivalry yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i go I... into the bookstore and cut i move his down to the bottom shelf <laughs> put mine on top <laughs> i thought maybe you move his to like the business section or something like that <laughs> that's right <laughs> Move it away. Put Bob's in the teen fiction area. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this, um, and it started with Sean, Sean Fitzgerald's book uh, about almost sort of the, you know, Before the Lights Go Out, I think is the name of his book. Yeah. And it was yeah. like, it was, it was struggling with the question of, you know, about hockey. Sean plug. Yeah, right here. there you go. Pretty bad that I have a copy of his book and I don't have a copy of my own I'm book. Not yours. Well, you've read yours already, right? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, it's struggling. On, you know, where's hockey going to be in the future in Canada? Uh, and yeah. then I read Sammy Joe's small book, and she's she's talking about the explosion in women's hockey. Um, I read uh, Harner Ryan's book, and it's a it's it's a it's an amazing story. Uh, about is. you know uh, him and his family and their relationship with hockey and you know his place in, in really in hockey history now I guess. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's definitely fair. And so I wanted to ask you because I asked Harner Ryan this as as well and I asked Sammy Joe as well. Um, where, I guess your your thoughts on the not the future of the NHL per se, but. Hockey in Canada, you know, we've got changing demographics. We've got the huge popularity of, of, of basketball, especially in the urban cities in, in, in Canada. Um, you've got the, the expense of hockey. Um, you've got a huge immigrant population where it's not the first sport, although people like Harner Ryan and Suleiman will tell you that their families are like ingrained in, in hockey, I wanted to get your thoughts on sort of where hockey is in, in Canada. Uh, I think that the, the issues that you talk about that it will probably, I think hockey in Canada will always be somewhat synonymous, but I think participation levels will probably drop and that will be a challenge over the years. We, I think there are things that have to be done and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but sure. you have to make it more affordable you have to, uh, I love what's happened to basketball. So I don't feel any, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me. Like I think it does some hockey guys that, uh, that maybe basketball's grown, uh, because of the changing demographics of the country. I think that's great. 
I don't think we have to be a hockey only country. I, I got to cover the Raptors run. I saw the way people reacted to that. It was unbelievable. It was one of the greatest experiences of my career. Yeah. So I don't sit there and lament, uh, a loss in somewhat of popularity in hockey. I think that's fine. Uh, but I do think we need to find, find ways to make it affordable that we need to, um, tackle the issues like racism and make it a comfortable place for people of all colors to go. And I'd like to think that most rinks are, but obviously they're not because of the, some of the stories we've heard over the past year, uh, in particular. So these things have to be tackled. Uh, the last chapter of the book is a story of uh, that I just happened to catch on Twitter back in January, February, a couple of tweets, and ended up pursuing it. And when I when I heard the story, decided it would be the last chapter of the book, kind of because of the question you asked me. And it was the story of a, a Syrian refugee family who uh, came to Canada and ended up in Newfoundland. And one of the boys wanted to play hockey, but they had no money whatsoever. And uh, the community kind of came together. Actually, Suleiman was involved in that, too, because uh, uh, the Syrian Outreach Program in Toronto ended up helping out. And uh, basically, the community in Newfoundland and some people in Toronto, like Suleiman, came together, bought this kid hockey equipment. The league signed him up. He got in, and another Syrian brother and sister got in. And, uh, you know, they're falling in love with the game. And I just thought... You know, after all these stories from ex-NHLers, I wanted to leave people with the idea of this is kind of where we have to go mm. uh, with the sport. It has to be inclusive and it has to be appealing to new Canadians and, and everyone else. And um, so, yeah, sorry, that's a long-winded way of answering no. your question. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a good crystal ball gazer as far as where it's going. I think it'll be a challenge to keep up the participation levels that we've seen, uh, certainly percentage-wise. Uh, but I do think that it's not going to, you know, hockey's death. I don't think the lights are going to go out, as Sean says it in the title. I think that, you know, Canada and, and hockey, you look at the World Juniors, it's our most popular event every single year. Um, people love to watch it. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, but we do need to address some of the issues that I talked about. For sure. There's a, there's a lot of great uh, hockey stories, of course. There's a, there's a few ones, uh, you know, with broadcasters and hockey players intertwined in there. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you have a broadcast story, a funny, doesn't have to be funny, but a broadcast story that you could, you could talk to us about. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have, I have tons of them. Uh, the funniest ones are, are probably the, the bloopers. You don't remember in broadcasting and in, in TV, you don't remember really that many good moments. I'm not going to sit there and tell my grandchildren about some great panel that Bob McKenzie and I did one night, right? <laughs> Boy, we really nailed it on that Leafs power play chat. Um, <laughs> but you say some really stupid things. Uh, I guess the one I'll tell you, one of my favorites is, uh, is actually a football story, not a hockey story. Sure. But my first, uh, when I first started on TSN, my first job, as I said, I hosted NBA and CFL in 1998. And I got hired uh, with Chris Schultz, who was a big offensive lineman who played for Dallas and Toronto and was on TSN for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Schultz uh, and I were hired at the same time. He was, I was the host and he was one of the analysts. So first day in, uh, one of the few things about TV is, one of the few challenges about television is that you have an earpiece in, as most people know, and sometimes you have to talk while the director or the producer is talking to you. There aren't that many skills in our job, but I would say one of the skills <laughs> is if right now I was having this conversation with you, Kareem, and a producer was in my ear saying, okay, James, you need to keep talking to Kareem. You need to fill 30 more seconds. Uh, you know, that kind of thing that happens a fair amount. And it's kind of a left side, right side brain thing. Yeah. Well, Schultz, he was an old football player. He wanted no part of having this earpiece in his ear. He always said, I got enough thing, enough voices in my head already. <laughs> but after we did a couple of shows, the producer said, Schultz, you have to, like, if you're going to be a professional broadcaster, you have to learn, you have to wear an earpiece so we can talk to you. 
And he said, he finally relented and said, okay. So the first night he had his uh, earpiece in, they were trying not to talk to him too much, trying not to distract him. But we used to do our commentary at halftime right before the kickoff to the second half. So we would fill right to the kickoff and then send it out to the game. And Schultz, he was talking and he was talking for too long and we were going to miss the kickoff. And so the producer ended up having to yell in his ear and say, Schultz, shut up, get it back to James. We're going to miss the kickoff. Right. So again, Schultz, first day with the earpiece, taking a few headshots as an offensive lineman in the NFL and the CFL. So this is what came out on air. Okay. I'll be Schultz. Yeah. All right. So I'm, this is Schultz. Everybody's watching at home in Saskatchewan or wherever. And Schultz like, all right, for the Argos to get back in the game in the second half, they have to establish a running game. Shut up, Schultz. Get it back to James. We're going to miss the kickoff. He said, he said the exact thing that the producer said in his <laughs> ear. So I think that he actually thought it was his brain talking to him. So you imagine, you imagine if you're, you know, you're home in Edmonton watching the CFL, eating your crap dinner, and you're like, what is that boy talking about? <laughs> Ethel, you hear that? What's that boy talking about? What did you put in my beer? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was, I just love that story because it was, uh, I, it was just so funny. It made no sense at all, but. Yeah, there's a lot of bloopers I could probably tell you about too, but uh, it's tough. I, I mean, that's I guess that's the one challenge about our job is that you have an off day, everybody knows about it, right? Yeah. If you if you, if you have an off day and there's days where I can't talk on TV and uh, everybody home's going, what is wrong with this guy tonight? He's horrible. That is funny. That is funny. Does does, does uh, did Schultz laugh after that? Oh yeah, he's he's a good guy. He laughed at it. And I, I bug him about it forever. So that's hilarious. Um, I'm I'm asking my guests to tell me one thing that uh, that most people don't know about them, and uh, just to give you some insight. So Harnarai and Singh, he doesn't tie his own ties. He doesn't know how to tie a tie. He can do a turban, and he says he's really good at that ever since he was a kid, but he can't for the life of him, tie his own necktie. So I'm, I'm, okay. I'm wondering, James, is there something that most people don't know about you? Uh, okay, hold on seven seconds, okay? All right. <laughs> James has left, but he's coming back. So... Only because, uh, only because you mentioned that story about the tie. This is probably not the most fascinating thing that people don't know about me, but all the people at TSN always seem to be enthralled when they see this. So, um, my father, uh, he could. This is the way he taught me how to tie a tie. He can never tie a tie around his neck, and I do not know how to tie a tie around my neck. I couldn't. I mean, I know there's something going on here, but I couldn't do it. So I tie my ties. I tie my ties around my leg. You tie right, your tie so. around your leg. All right. Can you see this? I can see it. This is hilarious. Okay, so cross the leg, under, <laughs> over, under, <laughs> over, what under. Are you doing. <laughs> and through. And my dad used to tell me, my dad was an RCMP officer and okay. uh, would tell me that that's how you got a better dimple. This is not a great tie, actually. I just pulled this out of the closet, but uh, um, there you go. That's what I did around my, uh, around my leg. And uh, I realized as I got older in life that it probably wasn't like a better way to tie a tie. It's just my dad never could figure out a way to tie a tie around his neck. And so I, uh, that's the way I tie ties. And uh it's, it's so, the only way I could ever do it. Is your Instagram account like filled with you tying ties around your leg? Like that needs to be. A, no, a I've, I've never, I don't, I, I, but I, it's always funny. The first time if we have a new analyst in or something, the first time they see me do it, they're always so fascinated because they've never seen that before. <laughs> and uh, that's the only trick I know, I suppose. 
that is hilarious. Thank you so much for sharing that video. That was that was that was priceless. James, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I truly appreciate it. you've been more than generous with me. Um, if you thank you, Cream. Could, before you, can I cut you off? I have to ask yes, you one question. Absolutely. Move the move the, move the copy of Beauties. Is that your bed? <laughs> no, this is the guest room. That's now my office. Oh, because I'm I've been like having trouble concentrating the entire time because of those green pillows. It looks so alluring. Like the colors. I love all the colors you got on your bed. Yeah, like I want to nap on that thing right now. I've, I've had trouble focusing the entire interview. And I'm like, am I in Kareem's bedroom right now? And does he really have lime green pillows? Anyway, sorry. Go back to plugging the book now. That's that's okay. You've you've just you've had a trip, James. That's what that is. You've had I don't know what you're drinking there on. Uh... <laughs> and what are the gift bags in the background? Are those gift bags for all your guests? Am I getting a gift bag? Those, those are gift bags for kids. <laughs> oh, I will. Uh, I, I listen. I will come and get you this awesome book called mm -hmm. Beauties by James Duthie. I know you don't have it on your bookshelf. I do not have any. Thank you. <laughs> You can sign that for me. That would be awesome. In fact, here's what I'm going to do. Because you have Sean Fitzgerald's book, I mm -hmm. will ask him to buy your book and send it to you. And I'll have him. Well, I probably, got, I, probably, I probably got it for free. So <laughs> <laughs> The book is Beauties by, uh, by James Duthie. It, is, it will be an awesome Christmas gift if you want it for... Uh, the hockey fan in your family, or even if you're just looking for heartfelt human stories. It is a great book. James, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, Kareem, I really enjoyed the conversation. All the best, buddy. Thank you.